Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw here with Michael Shutt and also today joined by managing editor, owner, commissioner of the Sabre.com, Chris Wright. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Did you invite him? He just kind of showed up. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about UVA today, which would make the people on the Sabre happy. But first, yeah. Shutt, would you like to talk about something that's happened in recruiting recently? Well, yeah, another topic that's near and dear to the hearts of all of our listeners, uh, delusional Carolina fans and Tar Heel Tears is kind of my favorite. I think, honestly, we need a segment just called Tar Heel Tears. So you guys familiar with Gus Ritchie? Uh, tell us more. Gus Ritchie is a class of 2025 recruit from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. He's a three or four star, depending on the service you look at. Rivals has him as a four star. Ranked as a top 20 tight end prospect nationally. Um, also plays defensive end in high school. And on August 1st, Gus Ritchie made a decision that, um, you know, a lot of us make mistakes. He committed to Carolina, played for Mac Brown. And 11 days later, after what he described as almost two weeks of thinking almost nonstop about NC State and how good he would look in red and how much more successful he would be playing at Carter Fenley Stadium, he flipped his commitment over to NC State which was delightful. We've been on kind of a heater in terms of recruiting, doing very well. But, you know, I kind of thought, like, this will be like the Peyton Wilson situation a few years ago. He did the same thing. And I was like, cool, Carolina fans will be mad because they lost a recruit to us. That would make me happy enough. But then the conspiracy theorists came out. So my favorite thing on Twitter right now is these Carolina fans. Namely, my favorite one is a Twitter account by the name of Tar Heel Nation. And I just want to read this tweet to you. So we're staging commits to have them quote unquote flip to a rival school less than two weeks later. The things some people will do to drum up excitement for their programs. Rough. So they believe. And if you go in the replies, it is like full of Carolina fans who believe that Dave Doran staged this. That he got this kid to commit to Carolina just to decommit. That doesn't make any sense because you know this kid is now getting death threats right. over this kind of thing. <laughs> and it's like, it also, there's a perfectly good football reason for this. When he committed to Carolina, he said that they they recruited him as a defensive end. He was going to play defense for them. And State seems to be recruiting him as a tight end. So should he have made the decision to commit? I don't know. Whatever. He's like a 16-year-old kid. Like, if this is what you're going to live and die by, you're going to have a rough life. But the idea that a college football coach is out there like telling a kid, oh, great, you want to commit to us? But first, do me a favor, commit to the rival, and then in, in 11 days, flip over to us. Like It's absurd to me that they think this is what's happening. This is the definition of living rent-free in someone's head. What if like several more people do this, though? <laughs> okay, well, then, <laughs> then maybe I'll listen, but not right now. You said three-star recruit? According to a couple services, Rivals has him as a four-star. So why is this news at all? He's a top 20 tight end nationally. Why is this news at all? Kids flip schools all the time. I know. I Ask them. To me, it was like, cool, recruiting when, nice. He could be a good piece for us. But like, and, and it, it is, you enjoy beating your rival out for a recruit. Like that, that's fine. To me, it shouldn't be what it is, but I, I get it. They're panicking about the state of their program. They were ranked 21st preseason this year, not 17 or 18. I, I don't think there's anything funnier to me than an NC State fan calling others delusional. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, Fair. That, that, is, that is great. But I do think that there is a lot of delusion in the UNC program as well. 
I think it can be equal. I mean, maybe just, just the whole state. Like if except if, Wake, Wake I think has their head on straight. They know what they're doing. If the delusion is about like the quality of their crew, this kid had offers from Georgia and Michigan and like high quality. Per- he is a big time recruit as tight ends go. They are generally they don't get the same stars as like a wide receiver or a quarterback. So like, so why did he commit as a defensive end at all? I don't know. None of this makes any sense to me. He's 16. He's class of 2025. This guy is a rising high school junior. If we're going to try to understand his decision-making process, like, and this is the thing I was telling my wife about this and she was like, well, could he just decommit again? I'm like, yeah, he absolutely could. It yeah, probably plenty, will. Probably <laughs> multiple times between now. Yeah. A year from now, we're going to talk, talk about him decommitting and going to Georgia or something like that's, but it's just so funny. Like when Drake may decommitted from Alabama to go to Carolina, they weren't like, I don't know, crying about that. But now they're like, "Ah, no, he should honor his commitment. I think people just need to, like, this is my top rule about recruiting. I love following it. I totally understand why some people don't. Just, like, leave kids alone. Yeah. Like, if they come to your school, you can be like, that's great. Like, excited to see you play. Other than that, just, like, stop talking about people. Don't go at them on Twitter, X, whatever. Like, just leave leave kids alone. This would be a non-story to me if it weren't for the fan reaction what other context would you be allowed to say negative things to a 15 year 16 year old kid that's not your own right you just wouldn't be able to no. s- or even just speak to them positively i like, just think it people always ex- i mean i'm on the record about this when it comes to transfers and things like that what's his name the louisville kid who's going to australia trendon flowers yeah his mom had to put a statement out that was like please stop like threatening my son because he's chosen to go a different route with his basketball career and I was looking at the replies to that on Twitter, and they were like doubling down. They're like, <laughs> they weren't like, "You're right, fans shouldn't do this." They were like, "Well, you left us out to dry, so you deserve what you're getting." Well, that's Louisville basketball. You can't. <laughs> I mean, are we surprised it lasts as long as you thought it would? Mm, leave that in. <laughs> Rick Petito cut it. Also, if you are on Twitter as much as it sounds like, it's impossible to avoid what you're talking about. Yeah. Like that is Twitter or X or For whatever sure. it's called. Well, like the great I get thing on there, like ping articles or like whatever, yeah. and then I'm out. <laughs> I'm yeah. barely on there at all. I was there waiting on a different recruiting decision because we had a four star receiver, Jonathan Paler, who was going to commit. And I was waiting to see if we were going to pull him. And we did. And uh, then this also happened until 11 days from now. Right, right. When he flips yeah. to Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it wasn't Jonathan Paylor. It was Terrell Armstrong. Sorry. I get our four-star receiver recruits mixed but it, up. But it'll be, it'll be like a movie. Like the it double, will. The double-double cross. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll get... They'll, Ocean's 11. They'll get Sandra Bullock to play somebody, and then we'll find out it was all a lie. That We, we need a whole other podcast yeah. about that. I don't think we can get into that today. It's called Blindsided. Mm. Let's talk about UVA. Let's. UVA had a scrimmage that you got to see some of before they kicked you out. What were your top line takeaways? So scrimmage this past Saturday in front of alumni. So football alumni got to see the whole thing. Media got two drives and part of a third drive. And so while we were walking out through the tunnel, we kept like peeking back over our shoulder to see what happened on the third drive. So, so main takeaways to me is they still need to clean things up, which can be worrisome if you looked at how things went last year. So, for example, uh, Tony Musket threw an interception on the first drive. The defense had a lined up in the neutral, neutral zone offsides, followed by a busted run touchdown on the second drive. Now, that, that was the twos versus the twos. That wasn't the first mm-hmm. line defense. That's important to note. And then on the third drive, with the ones back out there, the offense burned a timeout on third down. 
So all of those are sort of like, for, for those that are worried, those are all red flags, right? And then the media leaves, and we see highlights. Tony Musket ran for two touchdowns. There was a couple of like over-the-middle type of catch-and-run plays, particularly with young freshman receivers. The tackle for loss by Ben, by ben Smiley, a name Coach Elliott's been calling out since he got here. So lots of positives in the highlights, which you would expect, right? It's in-house produced highlights. But we didn't see any of those highlights really other than the the busted run while the media was there. So kind of a mixed bag, right? Versus like any sort of major conclusions, but it's also scrimmage one. So you would expect that, I would assume. But those little ones are enough to worry me that, okay, there's some cleaning up to do here because if you keep doing those little things, all the other stuff is not going to matter. So you mentioned Tony Musket. He is likely the starting quarterback, although... Tony Elliott did say that Calandria was pushing him a little bit. Is it crazy to think that Calandria will play some this year? Like, barring an injury. Like, obviously, if there's an injury, he's going to play. But, like, could we see him in certain packages just because of his ability to run? Or is that crazy? I'm going to lean toward that's crazy because you can do Wildcat or something with someone else if you're just trying to run the quarterback. So in terms of a program management view, maybe he plays in a few games, particularly if the score gets lopsided, but you try to keep that number at four or less so that you can protect his red shirt if you want to. Right now, I'm not saying like it seems like Coach Elliott is the type that waits until you get to year five before designating you as a red shirt, because on their roster, they're listing guys last year who redshirted as sophomores instead of as red shirt freshmen. So I think that's a little tell that we don't decide this until the end of their career, which with the portal, who knows if any of that matters anymore or not. But I think if anything, he plays in mop-up duty versus special packages, or if, if he pushes, quote unquote, to the point that he forces himself on the field, maybe, but you don't want, to me, you don't want that in year two, right? We've seen that during the Mike London era, right? Where you running quarterbacks in and out, it just doesn't work. We saw that a little bit uh, early in the Mendenhall era. It just doesn't work. You commit to a guy, and you roll with that, whatever that means. And to me, that's why you brought Musket here to begin with. It's he has two years available potentially because of the COVID year. And then you redshirt Calandria, and then he could have two more years after that. That would be proper program management and in terms of my view of it. My perspective as a non-UVA fan, when I think about projecting out and, and strengths and weaknesses of this team, last year running game was basically non-existent, right? I'm pretty sure Brennan Armstrong was the leading rusher with like 300-something yards. I know that there seems to be some optimism around Kobe Pace, who was hurt last year, correct? And hurt early in camp here, too. So what does it look like in terms of who's going to carry the load? Is it a committee approach? Is there somebody who seems to be sticking out? What's kind of your impression of, of that? I think it's going to be committee, in part because I don't know that anybody makes it through all 12 games anyway at running back anymore. Mm. Uh, it didn't happen last year for Virginia either. I don't think any of the running backs played in uh, all of the available 10 games. Yeah. So I, I think just that alone will, will contribute to that. But also that's one of the deeper positions on the team. Mm -hmm. They have multiple running backs to choose from. So whether that's Pace coming in from Clemson, who obviously you bring in for a reason. I think he, if he's healthy, will get opportunities. But you've got Mike Hollins, that whole inspirational story that goes with that, how that motivates the team. you got Paris Jones, who uh, got a lot of the carries last year uh, among uh, a rotation there too. Xavier Brown was part of a rotation last year. Now he's going to miss four to six weeks with a dislocated elbow. But that just shows you the depth of the position. That's four names right off the top of my head who have contributed at one school or another previously. And that's without bringing any true freshmen or anything like that into the conversation. Yeah, I, I totally agree that they have a lot of different options at running back. What concerns me mostly is their offensive line, which was 
a disaster last year, honestly. They brought in a lot of different transfers to kind of fill different blocks along the line. Have you seen, like, what have you seen from the offensive line? Is there optimism there that we can actually run the ball anywhere with these experienced running backs? To be determined. That's not a great answer, right? <laughs> that's that's probably a, a, an answer in and of itself. But part of that is because guys have been nicked up here early in camp. So Mikhail Boley, tackle, true freshman, played last year, started the opener actually, has been nursing an ankle sprain. He missed basically all of the first eight to 10 days or 11 days or whatever it is uh, of practices. And he's expected to be a starter. So he's not in there. Chris, who came in from Penn State as a transfer, has missed at least a couple of practices in one of those yellow jerseys. Like, you know, you're under cautionary whatever's right now. You've got, uh, I believe, Ty Furnish sat out of practice. He was the starting center last year. Houston Curry, true freshman, last year didn't play, but he's been in a green jersey, which means limited. So there's lots of kind of moving parts to, to the point that, they bounced Blake Steen out to tackle for uh, a kind of like mid mid camp practice. He's played a couple of tackles. Transfer from Houston, Uganda Nana has bounced out and played tackle a couple of times. So the injuries alone are causing some shuffling. You would expect some shuffling anyway. New offensive line coach, etc. Now all that's the reason for concern. The reason for upside is a lot of these guys are older. Some of the transfers coming in are older. They've been in college strength programs, all of that sort of stuff. And you've got double double coaches, right? So you've got uh, Heffernan that came in from Stanford as the head coach, but then they also brought in Maverick Morris, who played at Clemson and then was coaching Louisiana Monroe last year as an offensive line coach. He's a graduate assistant. You've got two coaches coaching the yeah. offensive line. And to me, I think that is going to help because watching them in practice, it's divide and conquer. They've got half of the group each during all the fundamental building drills. And to me, that could lead to better results because I do like the teaching that I'm seeing. Oops. Go ahead and round out the offense. Receiving group lost a lot of talent. I know you've got a, another, at least one transfer, the Northwestern kid came in. But other than that, like pretty young, inexperienced group, it seems. Has anybody stuck out there? I mean, you're working in a new quarterback, too, so it feels like that passing game that was a strength last year for as much as a strength could be on a mediocre offense. Yeah, two years ago. <laughs> Sorry, two years ago. The uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's all relative. You know, what does that look like kind of going into this season? This is going to be dropping a little bit of sour in your lemonade. Yeah. Uh, Brennan Armstrong's numbers last year were worse than like Mark Verica, Matt Johns, sure. some of the early Different <laughs> offensive coordinator. Early Virginia uh, quarterbacks. I'm just saying his numbers were worse. Uh, hopefully he's better under coach. And I hope he has a great year personally. Even, I if he, even if he's not, we have a backup plan. Right. You do have a backup plan. I do like Morris Brennan though. He's a good kid. He never dodged the media really. So I hope he has a good year. It is what it is. With that said, receivers, two guys with 15 career catches or more and 100 career yards or more only two <laughs> right one is from northwestern transfer the other is malachi fields here locally he missed all of last year except for the last game had a touchdown catch in the last game back so to me fields is a, a really big deal i think yeah. he's going to be legit i really do i think he's got all the pieces uh, to have a breakout year in that spot but he's one of your most experienced guys <laughs> right so you're going to need somebody young to step up so whether that's J.R. Wilson, who had the touchdown in the spring game, he's similar frame to Fields, big guy. Or smaller guys like Washington, you've got two true freshmen, Jaden Gibson, Sudarian Harrison, who both early in camp here have made some plays. They both had touchdown catches in that scrimmage this past weekend. You know, So those guys are in the mix. Could others kind of creep in there that have been here for a while, like a Demick Starling, who's really fast? Delaney Crawford just switched from quarterback. I think that's interesting because he's also very fast. Uh, state hurdles champion in California. So 
you know, can, can it just be better? I, they're going to need more accurate throwing and more accurate route running to make that work because that was the bigger problem last year is Brennan uh, was not on the same page with his receivers enough. And even when he was, lots of drop passes and unconfident route running. So if neither of those things get fixed, we're probably having a, you know, former offensive coordinator conversation at some point because you can't ride it forever to see if Coach Kitchens can get it right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like my high-level worry about the team is how are they going to score? They were awful last year. I feel like it would be very difficult to be worse this year. Even though there are some question marks, I think they will be better. But are they going to be good enough to actually put some points on the board where their defense can play, bend but don't break, be decent but not elite, like to actually hang around in some games? Like, has there been anything structurally that you've seen from the play calling and practice? I know that's a little bit difficult, but is there anything that you would anticipate being different about how the offensive approach is under the second year of the offensive coordinator? All right. So from a media access standpoint, we don't get to see 11 on 11 very much. So it's hard to tell. Now, you know what they want to do, right? Some outside zone concepts brought from Falcons, other things that Kitchens experienced, inside zone stuff that works really well at Clemson some pro style kind of concepts mixed in with that. So you kind of know what they want to do. They want to have some two back flexible personnel types of things. Can they do that better? Right? So can the two tight ends that came back as super seniors, can they be better like Jelani Woods was a couple of years ago? Not NFL level, just better. You know, can the receivers not drop passes? They were among, I mean, Virginia was among the nation's leaders in drop passes last year. Can't drop those, right? That's not the coordinator. That's not the scheme. So, so stuff like that. The running game is going to be a major piece here, though, because if you can't run outside zone, you can't run inside zone. The things that Tony Musket is good at, which is playing out of fakes, pre-snap reads based on their loading the box, those are the things he's good at based on his experience and understanding where the ball needs to go. If that's not working, everything else becomes a struggle. So to me, it, it comes back to the question earlier about the running game. Will that work? Now, scoring points, I think they'll be better than last year. Like you said, it'll be hard to be worse. But I also think... Uh, the piece that could influence that is field position. Special teams was an absolute disaster. So if special teams is still a disaster, and you're still leaving the offense in bad situations. You know, you're, you're asking a lot for a major jump to go from 118, 120, all the way up to 40. It's probably not happening. Can they get into the, say, halfway? What is that, 65 teams out of 131, give or take, is halfway? Then you put your defense in a conversation where you can ride your defense to being in games. And that's still a pretty big jump, right? So we'll see. I think that has to be the target, though. Can they get to the 60s or 70s in terms of total offense and scoring offense to be in games? That's not very enthusiastic sounding, is it? <laughs> uh, definitely not as a UVA fan, although I am excited about the defense based on their progression. Like that was a, the surprise last year was that their defense was so much better than anticipated after being awful the year before. Their offense or their defensive line looks really, really solid, although Chico Bennett yeah. question mark right there with that injury. But putting that aside, because I can't bear to think about that right now, defensive line looks really solid. Looks like they have some depth at safety. I wonder about cornerbacks. Like, do they, what, what does that look like? Are they going to be able to defend anybody? I know uh, Coach Elliott talked about having undersized cornerbacks and like what that looks like. What have you seen from uh, the secondary? So corner is one of the most interesting spots on the whole team because you lost two guys there, one in Saints camp with Anthony Johnson, one in Florida State camp with Finchell Cypress. So those guys both top 10 and passes defended per game last year, 
uh, nationally. So they obviously broke up a lot while they were out there, and that can influence your defense a ton, right? If you can trust those two corners to do their job, you can do all kinds of other things. Obviously, Nick Jackson is not back in the middle, so that's also another big piece. When I look at it, I'm not really worried about the defense. And I know there's a devil's advocate sort of thing out there where, well, what if last year opponents knew the def- the offense was so horrible that they didn't even attack the defense? Or what if opponents knew, just don't turn the ball over, you're going to be fine? I do understand that line of thinking. But honestly, like just watching the difference, not just in like stats and all of that, just watching the difference in player confidence, player physical, uh, you know, physicality, and tackling last year, gives me belief that Coach Rudd and his staff can get the defense to a a level similar to last year. Now, can they make a climb from the 40s and 50s? That I don't know. But I think they'll be at least where they were last year, despite losing those kind of three key pieces. Corner's fascinating, though. Like, brought in three transfers. The guy that's jumping out to me is the one I expected not to, and that's Westfall from SMU. I expected the other two guys, Malcolm Green and Tavon Kyle, to be the ones that jumped out more, particularly with Kyle being here in the spring. But he's been nicked up a little bit in practice and hasn't practiced lately. Westfall jumped out to me during the scrimmage. He didn't do anything. It wasn't like he made a tackle or anything, but I had my eye on him, and it was like, huh. All right, he, he looks the part. So I'm curious if he kind of emerges from this group as someone to watch. Even with Westfall standing out now, I feel like Malcolm Green just as – Highly rated as he was, he was kind of buried behind a very deep secondary at Clemson. Um, it just feels like a good opportunity for him. Obviously, I do think that like a lot of what this defense is going to do is going to revolve around the health of Chico Bennett. So it seems like, based on what I was looking at shortly before recording, we still don't know what that's going to look like. Super freak situation, but I just think that like at any level, kind of what you do in the trenches, especially defensively, your pass rush sort of dictates what a defense can do. There's not a question there. <laughs> there was kind of a question there. Can, can they survive without Chico Bennett? Right. I think I think it's the underlying current there. Let's say it's bad. Yeah. Right? So we know he's missed at least one full season previously. We know that if it's minor, so message board doctors versus Holiday Inn Express doctors versus whatever, right? <laughs> so the message board doctors say, I know so-and-so stood up once like that, and it was meniscus, right? Sure. Meniscus can be four to six weeks or whatever. So even if it's a shorter timetable, I think they can survive without him. I know he had seven and uh, no seven sacks last year, which is around Virginia's team lead most years recently, you know, seven, seven and a half. They have other experienced pieces that can rush the quarterback, whether that's Cam Butler or others, right? So to me, I don't worry about that too much. I also think Coach Rodzinski can scheme to it a little bit. Mm. I'm interested in the linebackers, right? The linebackers play a really interesting role for Virginia because they're really kind of in a sort of 3-3-5, 4-2-5 hybrid sort of defense where two players can be anything. Chico Bennett was one of those at Bandit. Uh, Lex Long has been playing a lot at, at the other one, Spur Safety, which is kind of a safety linebacker. That gives you all kinds of options, right? If you've got a safety sort of playing linebacker, you can bring him or – you know, James Jackson is a little different than Nick Jackson in terms of build and speed and movement. Can you do something different there? Are there some young guys here that we're not talking about yet, like a Cam Robinson who made some impressions early as a true freshman in camp? Can he do something that, you know, makes makes the defense have that element to it? So I think there are enough options there that they'll find something. I have a question about Matt Ganyard. I just, I just think that's like one of the coolest stories. I feel like that has made it into the kind of national discourse, just having being a 34-year-old graduated helicopter pilot married kids and now getting to walk back on in the team I don't know if he's going to contribute anything at all but I just think that's like a really really cool story and uh, something to latch on to when there are a lot of questions about this team but I, I just think that's like one of the cooler stories 
No, that, that one's a great story, right? UVA undergrad went and flew a Cobra helicopter uh, in the military and now back in, I believe, business school. So juggling business school while you're on a football team, I don't care how old you are or what your background is, but then you throw the fact that he flew a helicopter in on top of it. And then you watch him kick. He can actually kick a little bit, right? He's been kicking in practices. We do get to see that every day. They start with field goal kicks first, uh, probably partially because we're there as media. But he's got a leg. He's just raw, right? He hasn't kicked a whole lot in football practices, football games, or anything like that. But he does have a little pop, that little sound to a kick that sounds right. So maybe he ends up kicking off a couple times this season, or maybe he gets in the conversation, who knows? But it's a great story regardless, just because of everything that kind of comes with it. So at the macro level, the... Over-under for the team is three and a half wins. We talked about this back in May and suggested that, yeah, that's doable. And I think it's still doable with the team that we have here. Is there any reason that you have to change your mind on that? You're like more bullish on the team. Like, could we make a bowl game with this, this roster? Or is it like going to be a really tough season? Everyone other than Tennessee is the same. Everyone, literally every team. Right. So take the top 20 in the country and throw those out. I agree with you. Tennessee, Alabama, those, whatever. But everyone from the NC states of the world to the Wake Forest of the world to the Virginias of the world to the whatever can be anywhere from awful to mediocre to slightly above mediocre to surprise season. Anybody can be. It just doesn't take that much. Like on paper, you look at this and go, okay, they don't have a lot of proven playmakers. They don't appear to have a lot of explosive scoring ability. And they have a defense that didn't create turnovers. And they had a rough, rough year last year in terms of on-field product. That's without even mentioning the end of the year, how it ended with the, with the tragic shooting. So there's a lot of stuff there that you really easily can go under three and a half. And I would buy that. I wouldn't argue with that. It's certainly possible they could lose all those things. But JMU, William & Mary, that people are worried Virginia's going to lose to both. And hey, they might. But listen, like... I think they're going to be over three and a half. I do. I don't know if it'll be way over. I don't know if it'll be a bowl game or whatever. I just look at all these teams and they're the same to me. Like if you look at any of the SEC, any of the Big Ten, any of the AAC, any of the Pac, 4, 8, 12, 15, whatever the heck that is, there's a whole bunch of mediocre football out there. A defense that doesn't give up big plays and big touchdowns. An offense that doesn't turn it over. That alone could put you in the conversation. They only had one of those two things last year. They had a defense that didn't give up a lot of big explosive plays. They had an offense that turned it over nonstop, <laughs> right? And that submarined any chances they had. Now, remember, everybody thought they were going great last year. That's a bowl team. They're going to win eight games. They got all these weapons back. They're going to be, uh, right? And it turned out to be the opposite of that because it doesn't take much to derail average teams. It also doesn't take much to bump up average teams. I know you disagree with that, though. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but I think... I'd, I'm going to stick with that because I like your optimism. Like I, what I'm hearing from you is eight and four. That's that's <laughs> what I'm taking from this conversation. I, I don't know if they'll make a bowl game, but I said eight and four. So go ahead. Mark. Yeah, I'm a big believer in college football, especially when you're not Alabama, Georgia, whatever, that low expectations are a good thing. And I, so, you know, just kind of building off of that kind of comment of last year it felt like everybody expected big things and they were really disappointing now i feel like people are looking at this team thinking like this is not a great team you know there's a lot of room to go up right so like i don't know maybe it's a comment towards your or in support of the idea all these teams are the same because i've looked at this schedule in the past and thought like under now i'm looking at it and i'm like i think that game against tech at the end is for bowl eligibility like i think both teams could be at five wins playing to make a bowl which is 
sad but we've, exciting. we've done that before <laughs> yeah, yeah, as yeah. a program <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know like i just i look at this and i'm I, like it's tough jmu at this point they're going to be favored in that game which is interesting the same jmu that louisville ran out of the building last sure. year right like yeah. Any it's a, teams like that, like JMU, like Virginia, like Virginia Tech, like NC State. There are so many Saturdays that they show up and they're just not the same. Yeah. They're not what they normally are. Now JMU is going to come in ready to roll because yeah. of what it is, right? So I get that, but that's just not a game where either team should be heavily favored. It just isn't. And no, it I comes agree. Down how you play on that Saturday? I agree. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting team. I guess so. My like macro big picture thing. I was kind of looking back through some past eras of UVA football. So Bronco came in with a need to turn it around, had a not great first year, and then had had them in bowls. Al Groh, same situation. And even going back to the 80s, George Walsh also started with a losing season. So, like, there's a pattern there, maybe. Mike London, too. UVA football, start with a losing season, and then the turnaround. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I guess we'll do it like one to ten. One being not confident at all. Ten being bet the house on it. How much faith do you have that Tony Elliott can turn this around starting this season, or I guess at all? So ma- matching those other getting so it, matching getting London this, Mendenhall grow with a second year bowl. Sure, getting this program back to the standard that I think is fair for UVA football, which is bowl contention. Yeah, I, I think second year bowl. I would say five at most that would be the high end of the confidence i have in that because on paper like what like what do you circle that you're going to hang your hat on yeah and defense is there but it was still 50 ish nationally so that's not like it was dominating games it wasn't and they did not turn over over teams a lot which is something that can swing games Mm -hmm. so when i look at all of that with the questions of new quarterback offensive line we still have questions new quarter uh new coach there we still have questions and then everything on top of that in terms of the weight they're all carrying after losing their teammates last year. I just don't know any way you can have like this bullish confidence. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of that, that may give you a little bit of hope is that there's different purpose to the way they're talking and the way they're walking and the way they're working out and all those things. They have a different vibe about them. That doesn't mean it equals wins, right? It could. Is that enough, right, to get you over the hump in close games? I don't know the answer to that, but there's a little bit of hope there long-term, right? So not year two, but year three, which schedule does look harder than the current one does to me. Year four, right now, I don't think you have, you're not going to be an eight, nine, or 10. There's zero reason to be that optimistic. There's no real reality there. I would still be around a five or six, right? I, I like his background. I like what he's espousing. I like the model program with how it fits Virginia, right? I understand what he's trying to do. I like the defensive side of the ball a lot in terms of the staff that's in place and how they're working together, but there's enough red flags with the offense and recruiting is only middle of the road for you to go, okay, you know, if you don't get some roots down this year, so forget a ball. And I think I wrote this early in the Mendenhall era as well. This has to be a roots year. If you don't beat the over, right? If you don't go over three and a half, all that's okay if you establish some roots that everybody can see have future fruit. That, to me, is the biggest part of this. And right now, we didn't see any roots last year other than on the defensive side of the ball. And we're going to need roots everywhere, special teams and offense included, for you to you know feel more confident than right in the middle, like a four or five, that he's going to figure this out as a head coach. I'm curious your answer to that, McGraw. Uh, I feel a lot less confident than I would have said 
right after the hire. Like I really loved the hire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I share Chris's view. Like I love what I'm seeing from the defensive side of the ball. The offense remains a question. Like there, there has to be some growth between year one and year two. I don't think anybody expects Tony Musket to be a Heisman candidate or that we're suddenly going to fling the ball around and score 50 points a game, but there has to be some level of growth. So that's where I have the lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. I do think Coach Elliott has the demeanor or the makeup to come out of a bad season. And I'm not counting the tragedy part. I think he handled that, and I think all Virginia fans think he handled that about as well as you could. But I mean the the three and seven part. He has the demeanor of someone who takes three and seven and like tries to punch his way out of it versus just kind of sitting in the corner and going, gee, why did that happen to us? Right. It doesn't feel like that type to me. So we'll see if if that personality trickles down to to his team. You know, that's that buy in word, that chemistry word, all that sort of stuff. We can get some hints of that once we see them on the field this year, too. This is the one thing that I hate about this time of year when you have coach speak and it's tough to determine whether they're being like how candid are they being or is it just coach speak so like having him talk about the fact that we are ahead of where the team was last year that's something that coach Elliott has said from my perspective I would look at the roster and think there's no way we're actually ahead of that but maybe it's true just based on having the coaches in place the verbiage that you're using the schema all that other stuff maybe they are really ahead and I should be more bullish on it but I don't know what you think about that. I hope they're ahead of where they were last year. <laughs> to me, that should be a given, right? Like if you're program building, your team should be ahead of where it was last year, or at least there should be signs of it. That should, to me, that's why it's coach speak. I, yeah, I hope you're ahead of where you were last year. Does that mean better production on offense? I have no idea. That's what we're all asking, though, and we all know it. Does that mean special teams is going to be, I don't know, at least something worth talking about? We, nobody even asks about special teams or talks about it. It was so bad last year. Right. It was so bad that it's not even worth talking about. So it's like, well, you know, when you look at two thirds of the the units not being very good, I get it. I totally get it. But it's like, I hope you're ahead of where you were last year. You were installing new schemes. A whole bunch of people sat out that spring and you had that this spring as well. That's a given in, you know, football world, right? Injury rehabs and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. But you're doing all that and you're he even has admitted that he thought he was going too fast. Come with me, right? Everyone run with me. I, I know where to go. Without like giving them a map or at least explaining the map to them. Maybe you handed them a map and there's no key to it. It's just a map, <laughs> right? That's what happened last year. I think he was overzealous and maybe overconfident that all of that he knew would automatically translate, particularly inheriting a program, which was a little different, right? It wasn't a program that was below 500. It was a program that was at 500 for two or three years. So I think he thought, oh, all the stuff I know, I'm going to just let boom and got kind of caught off guard. And then it was too late, right? And Listen, like you coach long enough, you start seeing, okay, this is how things work. This is patterns. I would hope they are farther along than they were. I guess it's sort of an outside perspective. I just feel like if you're not going to be a really good team, which Virginia is just not there right now, what is the thing? I think this kind of goes back to the roots thing you were saying, like at least have a come out of the season with a thing that people look at this team at this program and are like, that's what I have to worry about when I game plan for this team. So, like, I think about, like, obviously as a state fan, that's my perspective. Like, Tony Gibson's defense at state is what I think other coaches worry about when you're going up against them. Like, that is a disruptive defense that is going to cause turnovers. It's going to force – it's going to get pressure in the backfield. That is the thing to be concerned about. And I guess that's my thought about Virginia right now is I'm just like, what am I worried about? If I'm game planning against them – I'm not saying they're not – they're, like, so bad that you don't have to game plan, but – 
there doesn't seem to be a thing that's like, okay, that's the concern. Like it was in past years, like the Bryce Perkins year, you had to worry about, okay, there's a dynamic quarterback who's going to make plays. And like, even with Brennan, it was kind of like, okay, there's this like vertical passing game that is kind of scary. And I guess that's the thing is I I don't know what Tony Elliott's fingerprints are going to be on this thing in terms of what is this, what's going to be the signature. I think it's a really good question. I think what he wants matches what works with coach Welsh. And that's an eternity ago, totally different generation of football. Right. But he wants to establish the run. He wants to build the program up so that it feeds on itself. And then he wants to play out of the run. So could you get to a point? Will he have enough time to get to a point of steady, grown upperclassmen constantly on the offensive line, talented, uh, productive running backs that everything else builds off of, whether that's defense you know, keeping you in the game or being opportunistic with turnovers? You know, with, with early Welsh, it was, or mid Welsh, it was option with the Moors, right? You play out of the run game and then boom, you hit them with a big one. Later on, it was more, you know, Thomas Jones, play, play play action, that sort of thing. All the way into the early grow years, right? You had a little different feel with that. To me, that's what works at Virginia, though. Running, play action, and I know that's not modern football. So will that work? But I do think that's kind of what he's trying to get toward, like an older, more mature, whatever sort of ideable thing. You don't have to look far at Virginia to find examples of what you're saying, though early in tenures where it's obvious that something is going to get better. Tony Bennett is the obvious one. Brian O'Connor, Andres Pedrosa rebuilding tennis lately, Lars Tiffany rebuilding lacrosse. There were signs early on with every single one of them that, oh, I see this. I see where this is going. Last year did not give you that with Virginia. Now they were Virginia football. They were still three and seven. You know, there are a couple of plays away from, being five and five, they're a couple of plays away from being one and nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that's the mediocre world that, that you're kind of living in. But I think that's what he wants. And I think that's what Virginia fans would gravitate the most toward. So that's a whole nother maybe podcast. How can you get Virginia football fans back? It has to be a product that they identify with, which is defensive oriented, blue collar, you know, kind of high executing type of teams. Baseball is that, lacrosse is that, basketball is certainly that, and Virginia fans identify with every single one of those teams. So that's kind of what you want. I think that's the model he's chasing. Will he have enough time to get there? None of us have any clue, right? If they go 2-10, and 10, followed by 3-9, and nine, or something crazy like that, you can't sit on the new building forever. And I think he knows that, and I think the administration knows that. And then you throw in all the swirling realignment rumors you guys talked about in your recent episode – you can't sit on things forever anymore. You just can't. So it's going to have to speed up quickly for us to see those fingerprints. That was a long answer, but hopefully it kind of captured, I think, what a lot of Virginia fans are thinking. I would love to see this work. Like, I, I would love to see this year work with everything that's happened in the Virginia football program. It doesn't even have to work at, like, a tune of 9-3. and three. Just a plucky team that is competitive in a lot of games outside of the Tennessee game would be great like that would just be fun what are you gonna do if they beat tennessee like i, I will be on the field at halftime. yeah <laughs> like that i will be i'm gonna be live in the arena i will be a meme after yeah, the game i love if it. that happens i love it so moving more generally i wanted to do play a little game here and i'm calling it would you rather which is going to test our 
collective fandom and also your reporting prowess and you have to make <laughs> decisions based on hypotheticals and you have to make a decision that's the important thing you can't hedge one way or the other so he would never no <laughs> Chris, Chris is very just like inside baseball. Chris is very hard to pin down sometimes. It's, it's tough to get him to. You may have heard that <laughs> in some of his answers on this podcast. But what I want is like firm answers one way or the other. So here's an example question to get us started. Let's say that today the ACC dissolved, which may happen. I don't know. This is the deadline. It might have already happened. <laughs> I, I haven't looked to see whether Florida State left, but uh, we can we can check that while I'm asking this question. But let's say the ACC dissolves. Would you rather Virginia go to the Big Ten or the SEC? So I'm having virtual schooling flashbacks for my kids doing virtual school. They played Would You Rather a lot as an icebreaker oh, yeah. in those classes. A lot. <laughs> like a whole lot. <laughs> so flashbacks. But which one? I think the Big Ten is the better overall fit. I think I would prefer the SEC. <laughs> Even though the football wouldn't work, I think it would be very interesting from a baseball, basketball other sports perspective lacrosse it would hurt dramatically but i think i would lean sec because i think virginia matches a lot of those schools outside of football virginia fits in well in both in a lot of ways though with academics and the southern school feel that georgia and some of those have that you could see it going either way but i think i would lean sec what about you what about you and nc state oh sec i, I, I think would, that one's easier i for would you. say big 10 for eva i would say sec for nc state I think basketball can compete. Baseball similar. Football would be a, would be tough, but like, you know, better than Vanderbilt. So, I always wonder about the other piece there too, the Big Twelve, not with just NC State. Like, yeah. could be an interesting conference. It would be leftovers. I get it. It yeah. would be you know the less desired schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who whatever happens with all this, it's got to get more regional though. Like I say all the time, we all look forward to that Mississippi State. Arkansas game right like or that Van- that Vandy South Carolina game I mean I can't wait yeah you know what I mean we, we got to get s- schools that matter to each other or yeah. it becomes really boring no I totally agree with that so second question well you didn't answer yeah one? oh uh I I don't know I kind of feel like the don't hedge are you kidding I'm me so, you well, just gave know. him this whole thing I, it was my question I didn't know if I had to answer the uh I feel like emotionally it fits better with the SEC but I think Big Ten I think Big Ten would be where I would prefer. God, think about the basketball. That'd be fun. Yeah, I feel like basketball would be really, really strong. And I feel like, I kind of feel like the Big Ten is just winning this conference realignment thing. Like, yeah. I know that the SEC has Oklahoma and Texas coming, but it's, it's like so football focused that I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the, like Chris said, that other than baseball, I think that this would be a, like a, a broader win for UVA. Yeah. Ohio State, Penn State, Rutgers, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina is not a pod that sounds awful to me in terms of a Big Ten type of pod. <laughs> Again, this is my, I mean, my comeback to every realignment thing is always, why is Rutgers there? Why did like they won? No they ma- won the lottery. They no got matter the where you put Willy them, Wonka ticket. No matter where I put them, I'm just like, ah, somebody's got to play these guys. It is funny though. I was just, like, there was a, somebody did an article about that recently. I think it was the Athletic about how Rutgers like. They are the big winner here by jumping in the Big Ten when they did. Before all this stuff, really, they took advantage of the Greg Schiano football years. And anyway, keep chopping. All right, question question two. 
Would you rather, I already know the answer to this. I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think listeners may have different things. Would you rather UVA football be bowl eligible every year, guaranteed? Did I steal one of your questions? I think you might have. Or beat Tech every year. (laughs) You're guaranteed to either be bowl eligible every year or you're going to be Tech every year. So you're guaranteed a bowl or you're guaranteed beating the Hokies. I think you take guaranteed to beat the Hokies and you'll play your way into a bowl. Okay, see, so mine's a little different, but similar. Mine was beat Tech every year, but your ceiling every season is six and six. Like you, the best season you can have is getting to a bowl or lose to Tech every year, but six and six is your floor. You never have a worse season than making a bowl. Are the teams in the same conference still? Sure. The Hokies don't bother me that much. I would take the floor of being guaranteed good. I think his answer is going to be different. That's just me. Like, I just don't care that much about the hookies i yeah. laugh at how much it comes up yeah but yeah i i do think given the other scenario though that you could play yourself because there's the bowl, flexibility there. there's flexibility yours is less flexible so i think i would have to go with and both just from an overall fan standpoint too like if you're going to be four and eight every year and one of those four is virginia tech it's not going to feel that good <laughs> you know what i, I mean? don't know man yeah <laughs> we I, I don't know. Like we've seen being six and six and losing to tech would being four and eight being beating tech feel better. I just don't think it would feel that much better. Like losing doesn't set well with me, period. I don't care who that's, that's to. fair. It just doesn't. So yeah. I, I would lean. Yeah. Give me a floor that I know we're going to win some games. Mm-hmm. I feel like there would be 5,000 more season tickets if we were four and eight with beating tech every year. But it's just like automatically chalk it you up. You know, it's like the answer, the answer to my question is a hundred percent sign me up for beating tech every year the answer to your question i don't know i feel like it, the floor is six and six so yeah. we always make a bowl i might take that if like it's one of those things that like i could just become an economist and be like well we just build in the fact that we lose to tech every year but we're on our way to an 11 and one year so you know but it's also order because three you're projections. gonna lose to tech every year you're not you're probably not like a college football playoff. Oh, no. <laughs> that changes so much of my fall plans. I know. That's fair. Expanded playoff, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More spots. It's just, this is such an, I like, I went through a couple different iterations of this because I would think of a good way to phrase it, and then I'd turn it back around and be like, okay, if it's state and Carolina, what would it have to be to get me to not just immediately answer beat Carolina? And there's no. So this is a good segue into a question I had for you. Yeah. NC State, would you rather just the current state of affairs, if we just live our lives, mm-hmm. or this alternate reality where NC State wins the national championship this year? They do it. DJ Burns scores 40 the points a game. Championship. Basketball okay. championship. But Carolina wins the next three national championships right after. Okay, I'll let him think. That's a no-brainer. You take a national title anytime you can get one, even if it means your rival ends up with one. It's with three. Oh, whatever. You get one, you get to enjoy it. I mean, you're still living on 83. Don't tell me you wouldn't live on like. Let's <laughs> be serious. Yeah, but I haven't had to watch them win three consecutive. No, but they've won what three or four since then, and you still talk about 83. This is a no-brainer. You take the title. And Coach Keats, I actually kind of like as a dude. Yeah, I love him. The thing about what we could flip this around with you though, and I know you don't hate Tech, so like it's different for you. But the fact is Tech has never won a team national championship. So if you flip that around and said Ooh. Tech is going to win the next three, that takes like a major piece off the board that UVA fans use of like the back and forth. It is a fun scoreboard sort of thing to say 33 to zero or 34 to zero, whatever it is now. We've lost count because it's a lot. 
<laughs> the it would take a major piece off the scoreboard, but ultimately, I still think you take a national title and one of the big two anytime you can get it. Is it an undefeated national title season? So like we beat Carolina twice too. Sure, I'll I'll give you that. You can have that if you want. By a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I I. <laughs> It's hard, but I think I'm taking it. I can't even like get there with us. Like Carolina's won titles. You see them win titles. You've yeah. seen it happen. And Who I, cares? Okay, just wait. You haven't known me when they do. I don't think so. Just it's like the most miserable thing in my life. Really? Watching them be happy. See, so here's the thing. Like when Tech was winning that ACC tournament title that uh-huh. in basketball or whatever, sure. and they're all like crowing about it. I just kind of went, okay, whatever. And then if I really wanted to, I'll turn on the replay of 2019. I just, I can ignore Which is them. all I, I would care. do. I think I would just for the next three seasons, whenever the national title game happened, I would just watch ours instead. Yeah. I mean, I f- he's going to be like the Zoloft guy. Have you seen the Zoloft commercial from back in the day where there's just like a sad little, like that is what shut would be if Carolina won. So <laughs> like I, we all should be, they're terrible people. Every single one of them. There's like no exception. ABC. Yeah. This is why the Virginia Virginia Tech rivalry is not real. Because hey, man, I I I took the. You hate Maryland more. I do hate Maryland more. So like same. So I guess that would be the flip to you. You get a title, but Maryland gets the next three. No. Yeah. No. Easy, <laughs> easy no. Strong no from me. But that's because you have a recent one too. I think that helps. It sure does. Like, what if you had never won? Literally, that the worst day of my would life was Maryland. Answer? Maybe, but. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not giving Maryland. I'm t- you said DJ Bird's averaging 40. I'm absolutely taking that. This just makes no sense to me. I don't hate other teams you and their it. results as much <laughs> as I love my team succeeding. That's fair. Right? So, you know, it doesn't bother me that the Golden State Warriors are winning titles, even though the Spurs haven't lately. Does that make sense? Because yeah. I, I've watched the Spurs win the thing. 2014 was one of the best feelings ever when the Spurs won. 2019 was one of the best feelings ever when Virginia won the national title, and I was in the building, no less. If somebody else wins one, Carolina, Maryland, Virginia Tech, whatever, or they win three, it doesn't change how good that felt. Mm. So I'm never going to trade that good feeling to, I don't know, wallow in those hate feelings. It's just not my vibe. I don't know what it's like to be that like content with my life. <laughs> achieve nirvana. <laughs> So let me get at this in a different way. UVA wins the national championship this year or, well, or let me, let me rephrase you. We continue to live along the curve that we're living right now, or cause this is supposed to be, would you rather, would you rather that? Or would you rather UVA wins the national championship this year? And Tony Bennett immediately retires. He hangs it up as soon as it's over and you just have to take whatever falls beyond that. I'm confused on the would you rather. Would I rather win the title and he doesn't retire? Or would I rather? No, no, no. Just continue now. Like, you're not guaranteed anything. Or be guaranteed one more title and he's gone. So you still could win some with him. Or not. I think anytime you get a guaranteed title and one of the two, you take it. Wow. Because the future is so, like, unpredictable anyway. Right? If you're guaranteed one, I think you take it. With that said, I said, I think it was 2011, 2012, before this rise that I was fine with wherever it went with Coach Bennett because I love watching his teams play. I like how he runs his program. I like the players that are in the program. So it would be a big, big blow if he like slapped the sticker on the, the thing again and went. And after Augusta, I'm retired. After I play the Masters again, I'm retired. Right? So major blow, but you still take the title. You take them anytime you can get them. Yeah, I'm with Chris on this. I take the title. And he can do whatever he wants after that, man. I'll drive the cart at Augusta. Like that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. 
this doesn't really work for me because like i love kevin keats but he's not tony bennett so like we could find somebody else i have a coaching question for you though as an nc state fan yeah dave doran has to leave the program because of some kind of family emergency okay and you have only two options nc state has narrowed it down to two (laughs) possible coaching hires okay one of them is Hugh Freeze. Yeah, I'll take, well, hold on. <laughs> the other option is Mac Brown. Oh, okay. Hugh Freeze. He's never been a coach at Carolina. Okay, so you approve and of Mac Hugh Freeze. And Mac Brown's going to die like, in the next two weeks, probably. That's not a threat. That's not, <laughs> let me clarify. But no, I'm taking Hugh Freeze. They're, okay. So you like the way he runs a program. No, but I, you like the way Mac Brown runs a program? I'm, I'm asking you. They've both, like, been the subject of multiple investigations. Mac Brown has a title. No, Vince Young has a title. <laughs> no, I'm not taking Mac Brown at all. All right. This one is for both of you, specific to Virginia football this year. Okay. I was inspired by this watching the NFL Hall of Fame enshrinement, watching Rondé Barber. On this year's team, would you rather have Tiki or Rondé? Oh, I'm taking Rondé. The cornerbacks are such a question mark right now. I think we need that defensive piece. I, I like our running backs. But do you like any of them as much as you like Tiki? Ronde was three times All-ACC, ACC Rookie of the Year, so we know that he would immediately shore up that position. I think you have to go with Ronde because of the roster. And Tiki, as good as he is and was, still needs an offensive line to block from it for so, him, and that question mark for that group yeah. still makes you go, I'm not going to risk Tiki not being able to run and maybe ruining his like sure. Virginia vibe. I'll take Ronde. That was my thought process as I was like immediately Ronde. And then I thought, is Tiki good enough that with a subpar offensive line could still guarantee you a decently competent running game enough? I don't know. This reminds me of the it year kind of felt it, the year after Heath uh, Miller and a bunch of other UVA players retired or not retired, graduated. <laughs> and Al Groh asked was asked the next year, like, if you could have any of those players back, who would you have? And like Heath Miller was his immediate answer. Somebody like a Heath Miller, I might consider that offensively just because mm-hmm. he was so dominant and our tight ends are kind of a question mark overall. But yeah, I'm taking Ronde. So that one led me to a very similar one. Different situation because they're not related to my knowledge. Ahmad or Aaron Brooks on this year's team? I think I'd go Aaron Brooks. And I, and I think I have to as the Sabre mm. owner. <laughs> because Brooks traded to the Saints remains a thing on the site. So okay. I think that's required. <laughs> I guess I do too. That one's tough though. That's that, a good qu- that was a good question. I think that Ahmad Brooks is better. Right. But if you can shore up your quarterback position. You got to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ahmad Brooks was better at Virginia. I think Aaron Brooks is Maybe better Maybe I'm thinking too much big picture and influenced by pro careers, but. I think Aaron Brooks also had a longer pro career. I also I'm going off of what my gut feeling on that is without knowing for sure. I will. Also, I think Aaron Brooks had a slightly longer. I will also career. admit my bias and as a Panthers fan. Right. Aaron Brooks was not my favorite, and he led the Saints to their first ever playoff berth, if I remember correctly. I think you as correct their quarterback, it's not that. like he was a bad pro quarterback. No, he definitely was not bad. So, Ahmad Brooks played eleven years. Aaron Brooks played seven. I did not realize Ahmad Brooks made it to double digits. So oh, yeah. I he, told was, you that, uh, he was big for the Niners. No, I uh, knew that, yeah. but it felt more like eight or nine. So I thought That's they were fair. much closer together than, than – and I thought Aaron Brooks was more like eight or nine. I thought they were similar. And Learned uh, something new. Ahmad Brooks, two-time All-Pro. Aaron Brooks never did that. Aaron Brooks never made a Pro Bowl. Ahmad Brooks did. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, Ahmad Brooks was an All-American in college. Yeah, he was really good. And defensive freshman of the year. I don't know. Anyway. Do you have any more questions? I have one. I more. have one that's like just for Chris. Yeah, I, I have one too. You Go ahead. And then, well, right. Or you want me to give my last one and then you can. No, I'll, I'll, I'll ask mine. Okay. You have to cover UVA football and <laughs> sit on the sidelines. This is part of your job. Would you rather all games be 100 degrees, sunny, no cloud cover, or 33 degrees with a slight, like, rainy drizzle, maybe some snowflakes mixed in? So we're assuming all day games, meaning it could be 100 degrees at night. I mean, hey, we're, we're getting uh, close. We're getting so I only asked that from a photography standpoint. Like the 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 the, the, the lighting is better during the day. So if it's a hundred, if it's all day games, give me heat every time. I cannot stand rain and drizzle and cold. Period. Much less when I'm trying to take pictures. And I've done both, and I'm okay. Like I got water bottles in both pockets, and I can hydrate the whole game and whatever. Like your fingers are freezing. I've been in Blacksburg when it's absolutely freezing and you can't feel the camera trigger, and it's horrible. I can't stand the cold. That's an easy one to do. As a fan attending games, I would probably agree. I feel like Cole, I don't know, actually. Were you at the military bowl? Uh, no. Yeah, so that game apparently was that, like frigid, can't feel yourself. Yeah. I just can't stand that kind of weather. That's fair. Just wear gloves. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I can't I can't grow like a skin that doesn't sweat as much as it does at like 70 degrees. I'm kind of so, glad. I feel like yeah. that'd be weird. All right, my last one specifically for Chris. So I don't know if any of our listeners are unaware of this, but Chris is a, a fairly successful, long-tenured basketball coach who is a big sports, uh, a big Spurs fan. So, Chris, you have the opportunity to coach on the staff of either Tony Bennett or Greg Popovich and learn everything from them. They're taking you under their wing, essentially like grooming you to replace them probably. <laughs> So, so adding that part, you take the NBA job. That well, assume that, the contract's <laughs> going to be like equal. Like I just mean from a basketball learning. Yeah, no, no, I know. When you add that part, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. that NBA money, man. Take that part out. <laughs> <laughs> the um, that is the one I would have to hedge on the most. Like all these others, I find fairly easy to pick a side. Man, that one is tough for me because I really do like listening to both of them and how they go about treating players and such. I think I would probably go Tony Bennett because it's closer to home and I do know him and I have interacted with him, whereas Popovich is from far away and you make a lot of assumptions about people from far away. So I'll go with the known and go with Tony Bennett. But yeah, that's probably a hard one for me. I thought it would be. Would you rather keep Chris Corgiani or uh, uh, Monroe? Fire or ice? That's tough. I feel like that's equal on the like yeah, torn, yeah, yeah. torn scale. It's really, really hard. I think Corgiani, I think Corch is the like – he has stayed more involved with the program. His kid was in the program, like, you know, so I think like I'm thinking big picture wise, but in terms of like as players and contributors that way, I, it would be impossible for me to choose. Oh, he hedged. Now here's I one did. for you. Do you want the, to change the commander's name or do you want uh, to erase Alex Ovechkin's one title? <laughs> I would eliminate the existence of the Commanders if it got the Capitals into the second round of the playoffs. This is not a, this is a, this is the easiest question you've I've ever been asked He's in my Panthers life. He's a Panthers fan now, baby. I mean, uh, NFL Panthers, not NHL Panthers. Right, 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 right. Yeah, the Commanders are. I mean, I'm glad they're under new ownership, but come on. 
That sums up the recent commander's history about as well as anything can. I do have one deleted one because I thought the answer was too obvious, but maybe you guys, we'll see if you would have a different answer. I was going to do a similar, like, this year's UVA basketball team, as it projects, you can pick a player from the past and put it on there. And then I just thought it's Ralph Sampson. Like, this team has questions inside. Pre-knee surgeries. Well, sure. Like, the assumption is it's, like, prime. That's the answer to any Virginia roster, right? Any right. roster ever. So period. then I thought about if I took him out, like who would it be? But so what would your next? What, what do we think our next two names inserted there would be? Would you rather Bryant Stuth or Ty Jerome? Would you rather Malcolm Brogdon or Kyle? Got you know what I mean? Like those type of yeah. arguments would, would travel farther on a message board type for of sure. thing. For sure, for sure. So maybe we put that out there. Yeah, that'll be our question. So open ended. That's right. So, so you can add any. Former UVA basketball player to this year's team, but not Ralph Sampson. Who would it be? And then we also want to know the Brooks versus Brooks question. Yeah. I'm going to ask that on the message board because I'm, I'm curious. Brooks yeah. versus Brooks for this year's football team. Before we let you go, I know that you have been doing some work with Friends of the Saber, which is uh, really cool. Can you talk about that just briefly? So we know that not everyone – likes to subscribe and read content. We're all contented to death in a lot of ways. So we understand that. We hope you'll subscribe anyway, right? Because every subscriber, you know, adds up. And we have a lot of users on the site that don't subscribe. So if you do subscribe, it leads to other things. But one of the things we do with Friends of the Saber is we have incentive tiers. So you can get like a badge by your name on the message board if you're a low tier friend. But as you go up, you get other things. So we send a couple of gifts a year out if you're on a higher tier. We've been having exclusive Saber Zooms with Virginia athletes. So we had Reese Beekman on uh, this spring after he decided to come back. Um, that was just with a handful of Sabre subscribers on a Zoom with them. You only can get, excuse me, friends of the Sabre. You can only get on those Zooms if you're a select subscriber or a friend of the Sabre at a certain tier. So we do those sort of things to try to give people different types of things they can participate in. Yeah, I'm a big uh, proponent also. Encourage anybody listening to sign up for a Edge subscription too, especially when we get into football and basketball season, you do a lot of breakdowns that are definitely worth reading that are like really in depth and go beyond like just what happened in the game to actually get into X's and O's of like everything that happens. So encourage everybody to do that as well. I'll subscribe if there's less of those Sabermetrics articles. I hate those. Disagree. <laughs> Sabermetrics, super popular. Yeah, just kidding. I love it. The I actually love it. I don't even bet and I love it because yeah. it gives me an overview kind of out there without looking so people really should read that i and i'm i know that we're teasing him but no but it really is it actually is informative i enjoy it like and i don't i've never bet on a game ever i know that's i wouldn't compliment him if i didn't have to if i didn't mean it (laughs) like i wouldn't just go out there and do that so it actually is good i will say this the vision i have for the whole thing is if we could get the majority or even a not even quite majority of people who visit the site to either subscribe or be a friend of the saber there is so much we could do whether that's hire another full person or run a full, you know, five or 10 student internship program every year, paid internships where we're growing up a a next generation of of who's NIL things. We could name a locker in the new football facility. Like there's buying power in numbers. And we understand that not everybody out there can contribute $10,000 to the VAF. So they have this seat in the arena. But if you are a friend of the Sabre for just a hundred dollars a year, 
you know, then we could maybe contribute to helping those things happen uh, for some of those groups. So I see a power and numbers kind of vision that would be really cool if it could work. And this is 25 years as the saber.com this month. We changed our name to the saber.com in August of 1998. So uh, a great time to kind of get on board and see if we can make vision stuff happen. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. So your third appearance on the podcast. I don't know if like a if you get to five, like an SNL, they'll do like a special thing for you, but maybe we can get there. I was saying I'm going to be the Steve Martin of yeah. the preferred walk-ons podcast. I was on your reference before you even said it. That means I probably need to fire you. <laughs> we know each other too. We know each other too love, well. Instead one. of like spend less time around each other, he immediately You're gone. To You're fire fired. You. <laughs> uh, if you have any thoughts on the Brooks v. Brooks debate uh feel free to write into preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com you can follow us at pwo pod on instagram or x and you can find chris and the saber on x as well at the saber and then i think your instagram is like the saber.com uva something like that apparently at the saber is taken on instagram even though you can't find anybody with at the saber on instagram anyway it's at the saber.com uva Uh, But we're pretty easy to find on any of those apps, Facebook included.